Let's welcome everyone. Uh, I'm going to read the passage. Uh, uh, we have a one, one verse, which is in your program, if you have this, haven't had this program. Uh, Acts 1.14. Uh, this is how you're supposed to read. Sigh, then you've got to keep, you know, like that. I want to read it, okay? Uh, Acts 1.14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Last time when I spoke, I talked about uh, church. Uh, four M's. Does anyone remember what I shared two weeks ago? If you do, I want to say you are genius. Uh, I, I couldn't even remember, so I had to go back to my note and have to look at it. And four M's. So uh, first M is church message. You know, we have a message, right? I like the song, last song that we, we sang. You know, like, I mean, nothing can, nothing can hold us, right? Because of power of resurrection of Jesus Christ, the chain has been broken, right? That's the message God has given us. Jesus Christ alive. He is risen from the dead. Resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, our message, your message. As a church, that's the message God has given us, right? It is. You know, because of resurrection of Jesus, because we, he was actually first hope, first fruit. That's why we have hope to hold on to. Even if we die even today, we know that we're going to go to heaven because of what Christ has done on the cross. That's the message God has given to us as a church. And, and, and church's might is, uh, is the Holy Spirit. It's not our own experience. It's not our knowledge. It's not material that we have. It is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the power. When Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive the power. See, that has to be the church's strength. That has to be church's might. That has to be church's power to be the church. And church's mission is what? What is the church's mission? To expand the kingdom of God through making disciples of Jesus Christ. In order for us to make disciples, we have to be disciples, right? Only genuine, real disciple makes disciples. Only true follower of Jesus Christ can make true follower of Jesus Christ. That's the church's mission. We're going to build this kingdom. Think about this kingdom for a while. Kingdom is where God reigns. Think about Jesus being a king and reigning over our lives. We'll experience kingdom of God here in this earth. And they will continue for us to have in kingdom of God. And physical kingdom is preparing for us. And it has, to, it has to start in this heart, in the community, in church, in the family where you belong, community that you belong. See? God's reigning over the kingdom. It starts, that's the, our uh, the mission. And church motivation has to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. He, as he has promised, he's going to come back. That has to be our motivation to be who we are. I want to continue to talk about church again, uh, what church ought to focus on in order for us to be the true church. Let church be the church. This is how uh, today's text begins, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day's walk from the city. See, this is the special place for Jesus, Mount of Olives. This is the place where Jesus spent his, 
is leisure times. He loved to visit this place, Mount of Olive. This is the place he ascended into heaven. This is the place he uh, spent overnight in praying, in praying. His sweat and blood was actually coming down from his head the day before he was crucified. This is the place where he taught his disciples how to pray. So this was a very special place for Jesus. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the mountain, Mount of Olives. As I was meditating this passage, the thought came into my mind. What is a special place for me? I believe the Mountain of Olives was a special place for Jesus. But what about me? What about you? Where is your special place? I was hoping uh, whether I die or Jesus returns, I want to meet him while I am spend my time in maybe worshiping God. I want to meet him while I'm praying to the Lord. It will be honored if I can meet him while I'm preaching the word of God. As, as, a, as a pastor, it will be honored. But what if he comes when I'm doing uh, some shameful things? At long place, doing long things. I don't meet God in that kind of setting. So my desire was, I want, I want to make a special place where I, I spend my time with the Lord. More than now. Expand the times. So I will have more chance, right, to meet him. Anyway, uh, this, think about this scenery at the Mountain Olives. Disciples are amazed by looking at Jesus because he was ascending into heaven. They were, wow, look at Jesus. They will keep looking at him. That's why the angel of the Lord was telling them, why do you keep looking at Jesus? Don't stay there. Go down to Jerusalem. As he has promised, wait upon Holy Spirit to come upon them. Wait and pray. That was the message that Jesus actually gave to them, right? You know, we can have mountain-type experience in our lives. Sometimes in our journey, we can go to like retreats or we can have like personal like mountain-type experience. We cannot stay at the mountain olives. We have to come down. We have to go down to live up our faith. You know, Christianity, faith is not just happening in the worship place. It's not only happening in the, some spiritual mountaintop experience. You have to live up your Christian life, right? So they went down. As Jesus promised for them, they've been waiting upon the Holy Spirit. This is so important incident, which I'm going to talk about next week, the Pentecost experience. It was so important. Jesus had to command them. You, you, you have to stay in the Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem. You have to wait upon the Holy Spirit come upon you. Because you are being a church. You're going to be, you're going to be a Christian. You're going to be a church. And for you to be what church ought to be, you have to wait upon the Holy Spirit. It is so important for us, all of us. You know, we, say, we can say we are Christians, but if we don't receive the Holy Spirit, I mean, that statement might not be true. We can look like church, but without spirit, we, cannot, we, not, we are not really church. It is so important. That's why he, Jesus commanded them, stay in Jerusalem, whereupon the Holy Spirit. So they waited it, and they received the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to talk about then next, next week. So 
Church to be true church. Church to receive the Holy Spirit. What do we need? And there are a few things that I want to share with you today. Simple message. First one, the church has to be one. Church has to be one. Verse 14, uh, they all join together, constantly in prayer. They all join together. I look up that word, uh, join together in Greek. It, it means to be one in mind and spirit. Church to be true church, genuine church, we have to be one in spirit, one in mind. I think this is so important. The same expressions appear in New Testament 11 times, and 10 times appears in the book of Acts. Other places is in the Romans, book of Romans. Think about this. Book of Acts talks about church, birth of a church, how church continues to be a church, how church living out their faith. And within the book of Acts, same word, expression that appeared 10 times. Join together. You have, to, you have to be one in spirit, one in mind. Even if church has no, uh, even if church has a great pro church program, even if church has great you know, building structure and like uh, really budgets, fancy stuff, if you don't have love for one another, if you don't have unity, you, we cannot expect anything. But even if you don't have a fancy program, even if you don't have a structure, church structure, or making many things, if we love God and if we love one another, if we be one in spirit, God will be pleased. God can be glorified. God can use community to impact this generation. So it is important to be united as one. That's why uh, Paul mentioned in Philippians, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. This is the passage that really challenging, you know, I think many of us. Can you consider others better than yourself? But that's the message God has given to to the church. The, one of the Aesop's, Aesop's fables, uh, there was four cows, they always stick together, they always support one another, they eat together, they spend time together, they were close friends. It, they were living in the forest, wild animals couldn't attack them because they were so close. One day they had a major argument, major dispute. Lion wanted to, always wanted to eat cows. <laughs> and one by one, they became a lion's meat. Simple lesson, simple message. Be one so you can live. If you don't become one, you will die. You know, same thing happened to even Christianity, our community, you know. Uh, we, not, we cannot be our enemies to each other. You know that, right? But often we witness, even in, within church, people really hate each other. They don't accept one another's. They don't consider others better than themselves. And there's a dispute. There's like quarrels. There's fights among them. Instead, they can attack the body of Christ. We have to be one. Think of 120 people at the upper room. You know, in the book of Acts, one here, they gather 
They spend their time in prayer. But think about 120 of them. They were all diff- they were, they were from all different you know, backgrounds. They had a different job, occupations, uh, different cultures. Yet Jesus challenged them. You have to be one. It was so needed. That's why Paul mentioned in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is, one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. When God called us, He already bound us as a one. And we have to make our effort to keep, keep us as, as a one. You know, as I was meditating this passage, I thought of 120 believers in the upper room. Who were they? You know, I don't know their names. Of course, the Bible mentioned about these names of disciples, 11 disciples. But who are these people? They're family of Jesus and followers, few followers and women that follow Jesus. Who are the 120 people? We cannot recognize their names, but they, I can tell they were genuine followers of Jesus Christ. They were the true love of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was resurrected, people witnessed Jesus, right? Even the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, there were so many population, and they witnessed Jesus came back from life. And and uh, five, you know, he appeared himself to five hundred people at the same time. But only hundred twenty people gathered at, at the upper room, right? Who were they? They were the true. I believe they were the genuine ones. They were the real one. They were true followers. See, we have faith, right, in Christ. Two point was like four. Billions of people follow Jesus Christ right nowadays. It started with 120 real ones. Church requires maybe real ones. Because the real ones can produce real others. And the demand was be one, be united as one. And that's the challenge I believe God has given us. You know, church is not a place to criticize the others. You know, we are a young church, right? Our EM is a young church. This is not a place you criticize others. No, you, you, you don't do that. This is a place you love God and you love one another. You accept one another as they are. That is so needed. Second point, church to be a real church, church has to pray fervently. Church is a place not having a meetings. You know, we love to meet and argue, you know, like, you know, like discuss. It's not, I mean, we do that time to time, but church is a place where you pray. This is house of prayer, right? Last week, Eugene's third point really stick in my mind. Pray, pray, pray. That's what we ought to do. We gotta pray. They all join together constantly in prayer. Yes. Imagine them in praying. I, you know, I, I, as I was imagining them, they were probably, you know, we're all different, right? We look different. We have different background. And all, you know, we have different temp- temperament and all different, right? Even when you pray, we probably pray different style, different ways, 
right? Maybe some of us, when you pray, we're probably you know, like loud boys and like, you know, like jumping and you know, like dancing and kind of. Some people pray like that. Some people, when they pray, they're just silent. They're silent, but they're very sincere. We have, may have different styles, but they join together and pray fervently. Which style is right? Everyone is right. Everyone have different, you know, just as we have different faiths, right? Or we have to respect one another. But we've been, they've been praying together. Church has to join together and pray fervently. When you were young, when I, when I was young spiritually, I've been, I remember I've been praying, God, give to me. Give me this, give me that, you know. It's like self-centered prayer. God answers. But as we get mature, I think our church, the prayer has to sh- like shift from self-centered to other-centered and other-centered to God-centered. You know, they've been praying for Holy Spirit. It was God's promise, right? So it was uh, them asking for God's will. It wasn't their own uh, will, right? It was God's will they've been seeking after. And as a church, I hope and pray, we can ask God's will in our prayer. I believe that is the ask for the Holy Spirit, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what we, because we are the church, we need. We need the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For 10 straight days, they've been praying for the Holy Spirit. 10 straight days. You know, this word, when I look up in the, the, in the uh, dictionaries, uh, in Greek, it means, uh, in constant prayer, it means persistent prayer. Pray without stopping. And, and there was a book uh, uh, written by uh, Kurt Johnson's Why Christian Sin. There was one story. This is based on true story. I, I want to read this kind of long story, but really touched my heart. So I want to read this story. Roger Sim, hitchhiking his way home, would never forget the date, May 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired. He was anxious to take off his army uniform once for all. Flashing the hitchhiking sign to the oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black slick new Cadillac. To his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened. He ran toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back and thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. Going on for kids? Sure am, Roger responded. Well, you are in luck if you are going to Chicago. Not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? I have a business there. My name is Handover. After talking about many things, Roger Christian felt a compassion to witness this 50-ish Apparently, apparently successful businessman about Christ, but he kept putting it off till he realized he was just 30 minutes from his home. It was now for or never. So Roger cleared his throat. Mr. Handover, I would like to talk to you about something very important. He then proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Handover if we could if we would like to receive Christ as his personal savior. To Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road. Roger thought he was going to be ejected from the car. But the businessman bowed his head and received Christ, then thanked Roger. 
This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Five years went by. Raja married, had a two-year-old boy, and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for business trip to Chicago, he found the small white business card hand overhead given him five years before. In Chicago, he looked up Handover Enterprise. A receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Handover, but he could see Mrs. Handover. A little confused as he asked to what was going on, he was ushered into the lovely office and found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand. You knew my husband. Roger told how her husband had given him a ride when he when hitchhiking home after the war. Can you tell me when that was? It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the army. Anything special about that day? Roger hesitated. Should he mention giving his witness? Since he had come so far, he might as well Take the plunge. Mrs. Handover, I explained the gospel. He pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. Explosive sobs shook her body. Getting a grief of herself, she sobbed. I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. And said, Roger, where is your husband, Mrs. Hand over. He's dead. She wept, struggling with words. He was in a car crash after he left you, let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. She said, I thought God had not kept his promise. Solving uncontrollably, she added, I stopped living for God five years ago. Because I thought he had not kept his word. You know, this story really uh, touched me a lot. Because I know, including myself, many followers of Jesus Christ, they just stop following Jesus because when they hit that end, I thought I offered my prayer. I thought God would answer my prayer. I thought he's going to fulfill my, his promise, but he, he doesn't. When you feel like that, you will stop living for God, right? But, you know, I want to assure you, God always keeps his promise. Sometimes we cannot see that. We cannot see that. But let us not lose our hope. Therefore, we have to pray without stopping. He's the God who answers our prayer. Same word, uh, Elijah was a human uh, being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly. This is the same passage. He prayed persistently. He prayed without stopping. That it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. The heavens gave rain and earth produced its crops. Remember this story in, in Second King, I think? He was fighting against the other prophets about and other, you know, idol worshippers. He prayed, so God stopped the rain for three years. When he prayed again, God poured the rain, right? That's the story, right? And when he prayed, God didn't answer like this. 
He didn't answer just like that. He prayed seven times. After offered the prayer, he sent this, you know, like servant, go check if there's any sign. When he when he sent the servant, he, he went out and see the sky. He's like, so blue sky, no signs of cloud. I mean, so beautiful day. He came back. He did it seven times. At seven seven times, servant reported, Master, I saw a little tiny cloud. Yep, that's it. I mean, you know the story, right? Sometimes we want to give up when we pray. But don't give up. Sometimes we pray after spend, you know, like our prayer five times, <laughs> six times. We gotta pray until God answers because that's this promise. That's what church, you and I, we're a church, right? What what church ought to do? Pray without stopping. Last point. Church has to hold on to the Bible all the time. In this life, we have many questions. Is your question all figured out? Did you figure out all the questions in your life? Probably not, right? I often, even sometimes reading the scripture, I, go, I don't get this part. God, tell me. You've got you to tell me. I'm not clear about these things. Even disciples, early disciples, they probably say the same thing. When they think about Judah, I mean, why did Jesus choose Judah as a disciple, even if God is God's omniscient God, right? If he's all-knowing God, why didn't he choose Judah at first place? You, you can't raise that kind of questions, right? In, in today's text, actually, the disciple mentioned about uh, Judah in 16 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. Concerning Judas, who serve as guide for those who arrest Jesus. When they confront with the problem that they have, they were searching from the scripture. It was amazed by the, the when you look at the verse 20 here, this is Peter, uh, the, this is one of the disciples. Uh, Peter said, uh, it is written in the book of Psalms. He called the book from the Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. You know, the text is this. He quotes the passage from Psalm 65, 8, Psalm 109, 8. Which proves he studied the Bible, right? Peter studied the Bible. Whenever the church faced the problems, question in, in, in life, in, in the ministry, we have to search from the Bible. Because you and I, we are men and women of the Bible. What do you believe? We believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. We believe the Word, the truth. We don't believe in other people's opinion. We believe the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon once said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the tilt, I mean, hilt, or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of, the, of, of, of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place between the two. I hope and pray you and I become men and women of Bible. We love Jesus so much. That's how we stick with it. We stick with it all the time. This guy named William uh, Mac. Person, he lost his sight 
he was working with the stone quarry, and he lost his sight and both arms. Same year, he read the Bible four times with the tip of a tongue, his tongue. Can you believe that? As I was reading that you know, story, I was like, my goodness, how can I read the entire Bible four times with the tip of a, his tongue? I'm sure the Bible that I read and Bible he read is very different. To him, it was the living word of God. That really challenged me. That story really challenged me. Indeed, this is the living Bible that we have. We're a young church. We've got to spend our time in the, in the Word of God, the truth, and basic stuff in, in prayer. Bible and prayer always go together. As I conclude the message, I want to ask this question. What do you think our Christian's problem is? What do, what do you think your problem is for, for nine, right now? As a Christian, that's why you're here, right? What, is, what do you think is your major uh, obstacle or problem that you face right now as a Christian, living out your faith? To me, uh, for me, we do not uh, deny the existence of Jesus Christ. We do not existence of the existence of God and the Holy Spirit. We do believe. I do believe there is God. I do believe there is Holy Spirit. But my problem is this. It can be a problem too. We limit the power of Holy Spirit. We just limit His, His power. I know God is a living God, but I just simply limit because of my own experience, my own knowledge. Therefore, church has to be united as one and pray. Next week, when you look at the chapter 2, Christ, I mean, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they became the witness. And they changed the history. We can change the history. If you and I become men and women of prayer and word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to be united as one. Lord, teach us, help us to be men and women of the Bible. We simply want to come in your presence and give our control over you, Lord God. Would you reign over us, control over us, Lord? Help us to be the church that you desire us to be, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.